Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Now available in the 1080p 4K HD Steelbook Edition. Not really, just stereo. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, back home from a wonderful trip to Vegas. Uh, more on that in just a little bit. But in uh, tonight in Pipe Parts, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about um, I'm gonna talk about how some of our pipes can vary one pipe to the other. Uh, just some oddities that I've noticed in how different pipes smoke, and uh, it, it it'll be a lot of rambling and a little bit of gibberish, but maybe something good will come out of it, and we'll find out. Uh, and then my guest tonight is uh, pipe maker Walt Hedinger, who is on his uh, second time of making pipes. So you'll have to—it's quite an interesting story and uh, and a fascinating guy. So stay tuned for that. Uh, music mailbag and rant all that coming up on this edition of the pipes magazine radio show which i understand is the 300th so wow yeah never thought it would last anyway all right so a quick uh, quick thing on the trip to vegas for my daughter's birthday it was a lot of fun we did a lot of sightseeing and uh, you know, all these trips to Vegas for trade shows and stuff, I might, you know, maybe get one little sightseeing thing in and then it was pretty much trade show stuff the whole time. Well, this was four full days in Las Vegas up out of the room and for breakfast in the morning and not back until late at night sightseeing. I think we walked inside almost every casino on the strip itself uh, you know, wandered around, saw the shops and the sites. And, uh, and of course for a 21 year old, it was her first chance to gamble and do it legally. And she was also able to see, uh, uh, the hospital that she was born in and the place where we lived when we brought her home from the hospital. So, uh, she hadn't been back since she was eight months old. Um, anyway, uh, not much pipe smoking to talk about. You know, I got a chance to sit down with a cup of coffee here and there and enjoy my pipe in a couple of spots. And other than that, it was just kind of go, go, go. And, uh, got a little bit of pool time in, uh, let me just say, if you do get to Vegas and you get a chance, take a ride out to Red Rock Canyon. I don't care how hot it is. It's yeah, a 45 minute drive from the strip and it's just beautiful out there. Just absolutely beautiful. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. So by now, it's it's no secret. I like pretty much one style of tobacco. I like Virginia Periques and then the occasional straight Virginias. So what I'm about to talk about means that I'm smoking pretty much the same type of tobacco throughout uh, whatever pipe I'm I'm talking about here. Um, what I want to see if I can throw out, and maybe some of you have some ideas of what I'm talking about, but why does tobacco act? Why why does the tobacco smoke differently in some pipes? In particular, what I'm talking about is I have a couple of pipes, and the one that comes to mind is one of my Costello Sea Rocks that was probably made in the early 90s. Uh, and every time I smoke it, on the back half of the bowl, it gets this black, glistening, almost oily looking surface to it. Um, I have a couple other pipes that do that. Some, a couple of them are smooth, but my other Costello Sea Rock from the same era doesn't do that. Why is it that that one pipe? or you know the other the other pipes that I have what is it about that pipe that makes that oily stuff come up well i think it has to do with how the bowl was cured and maybe how it was broken in at the start i think it has to do with maybe there's still uh you know maybe there's a a 
perfectly solid wall between the tobacco and the briar, so the briar is not absorbing any more any moisture from uh, from the bowl. It's absorbing some of the heat, but it's not absorbing the moisture, and that's where the moisture is coming out. Um, could it be that those pipes were cured extra well? And therefore, you know, it just allows the it allows all this magical juices to come up. I don't know. Uh, I can tell you that the juices are not in the bottom of the bowl. So I don't get an extra wet smoke out of these pipes. I get yeah, a decent I get a good smoke out of them. But it's just that these few pipes that I have in particular get this little glassy kind of an oily sheen to them. Uh, the other thing that I've noticed throughout my pipes, and in particular, right now I'm dealing with one of my Sato pipes that doesn't seem to want to tamp as well. It seems like the, uh, the tobacco likes to stick to the walls in the bowl. It likes to hold on to the sides, so it makes it harder to tamp it down and a little bit harder to get a, uh, to get a clean ash going on the top. It doesn't mean that they don't smoke. They don't taste as well as the, as the others. It just means that I have a couple of pipes. And again, this is the one in particular, one of my Sato's. And I've got, I've got several others that don't do this. So it's not something about that, the bowl coating. Um, it just seems like the tobacco likes to grab onto the side of the bowl, hold on to it, and doesn't want to tamp down easily. Now, the third situation that I have is in particular with this brand new, uh, with this S-Bang that I bought as an estate pipe in Chicago. Uh, this one seems to just puff up that ash, puffy white on top, and makes a real soft ash, yeah, just real easy to tamp. Now, I will say that this one is a little bit wider than... Uh, the tobacco chamber is a little wider than normally what I smoke because so, it's an apple. It's more of a pot-shaped bowl. But I've had a couple other pipes where, again, I'm, I'm smoking almost virtually the same kind of tobacco amongst all of my pipes, and the ash is whiter and fluffier coming out of these pipes. I think in the whiter and fluffier situation... I think they're wider bowls, and they're helping to disseminate the uh, uh, the the flame isn't as as intense when I put it onto the pipe. So therefore, the ash has a chance to burn evenly or a little more even. It doesn't get quite as hot, but it does get to burn. Um, could it also be that these pipes are less dense pieces of wood, so they're really drawing the heat out of the pipe? I don't know. Um, I've yet to really figure it out. I've, I've had to be careful with a couple of my pipes because if the white puffy ash gets real puffy, you know, the minute a little bit of a breath comes down the pipe, yeah, you know, you get white ash going everywhere. So I'd be interested to see if any of you have any, uh, any of these situations that are happening with your pipes. Uh, again, the, the taste of the pipe is pretty standard it's not something that is affecting the uh the smoking quality or the smoking experience it's just these three things are affecting the way i have to pay attention to that pipe and the way i have to uh the, the way i have to handle that those pipes in particular and, and then sometimes i forget it's oh yeah this is one of those ones that's a little tough to tamp um I have thought about uh, in the ones that are tough to tamp about reaming them down to maybe almost fresh wood again and starting over again to see if maybe it's something in the cake that is grabbing onto it. But uh, haven't gotten that. To, uh, haven't wanted to put that much work into it per se. Um, I I can say that on the pipes that are a little oilier, the or have that little oily sheen to them that the that the pipe smoking experience is a little richer maybe. Um, a little stronger than the other pipes. So are these just magic pipes? Or are these just pipes that, uh, that have uh, slight uh, different characteristics to them that are causing this? I don't know. Uh, I haven't been able to, uh, <laughs> haven't, haven't wanted to get rid of one of them because I still have them and I still love them. But uh, I'd be interested just to see if any of you are having the same things.
All right, in just a moment, uh, and I will warn you, there was a there's a couple of uh, audio beeps in there that uh, that somebody was trying to uh, break through on the phone call while I recorded this with Walt. So that's not your phone going off. It's in the uh, <laughs> it's in the interview, and I couldn't take it out. Uh, but in just a moment, my visit with Walt Hedinger. This is Internet Radio. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining me is... um, your your resume is long and storied, but this is your uh, your second time into pipe making. So let's just get into let's get to know you. But please welcome Walter Henninger to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Walt, welcome to the show. Well, I'm happy to be here, Brian. All right, so let, let's get started with knowing you. Um, where did you grow up, and when did you first start smoking a pipe? I was uh, raised in the Baltimore area, Baltimore County, north of Baltimore, and uh, I uh, spent some time between high school and college in the Army. Uh, I entered the Johns Hopkins University uh, when I was 22 after the Army, and it was there that uh, I'd been a cigarette smoker while I was in the, the Army. And uh, my fiance convinced me to start smoking a pipe. <laughs> uh, there was a uh, a local brick and mortar shop, Jay's Smoke Shop, uh, close to the university, and I bought my first pipe, which was a uh, a Savinelli Zulu, at uh, Jay's, and began to smoke a pipe. Now, what year would that have been? Uh, that would have been about 1968. Wow. So you were you over in Vietnam at all, or did you uh, did, did you no, miss I, out on that fun? I I was actually pre-Vietnam. Uh, 1963 to 67 was my military service, and the army saw fit to turn me into a Russian translator. So I spent time in school learning Russian and some various other things. Wow! So, and then you went to Johns Hopkins for medical school. I went to Johns Hopkins for undergraduate school. Um, I got a degree in biophysics there. And then I went to uh, the University of Maryland Medical School, also hometown. So here, uh, so by by that time you're you're speaking you're speaking Russian, you're in medical school and at the same time you've got a Savinelli Zulu. Uh, so you're not exactly your 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 boring run of the mill kind of guy that's um you know can't figure stuff out. Uh do you remember the first tobacco you tried? Uh I'm pretty sure it was one of the uh, British blends. Balkan Sobrania was a big one back then. And I think we all pretty much smoked uh one of the either a Balkan Sobrania directly or we did uh, we used one of the uh, shops various mixtures that tried to emulate that wow uh and how did it uh, any war stories from uh, starting to starting to smoke a pipe no i I'm, i've been uh, i've been a tobacco person since i was about 14 and uh i i, uh, I really enjoyed a pipe um it was years before I went exclusively to a pipe, but uh, no particular war stories. I did towards the end of my association uh, with the smoke shop in the uh, late 1970s, 
switched to Virginia's. Uh, Dunhill Flake was uh, a revelation to me, and uh, I've been a Virginia guy ever since. It's a, all right, so you've you've been making, you made pipes, uh, you're on your second time making pipes in your life. When did your right. first time making pipes start? About 1969, after I'd begun smoking pipes, um, a friend or a relative, I can't remember who, gave me a kit. Uh, it was labeled a Danish pipe making kit, and basically what same is available today, a block of briar with a fitted uh, pre-molded stem, pre-molded yeah. stem, and uh, I made a pipe, and I got all the usual oohs and ahs from my friends and and such uh i went to jay's smoke shop uh jay's is the shop on cold spring lane where i really got started and jay was very encouraging uh i did uh i I purchased a block of briar there and he had another pipe maker who's who's not well known today uh charles holiday h-o-l-l-y-d-a-y he's got a little entry in pipedia but Charles really started on his own making pipes, and I managed to worm my way somewhat into his confidence and and learned a bit from him. Jay had a uh, repair shop in the back yeah. with basically all of the equipment you needed to make a pipe, uh, which was a lathe that you could turn a stem on, turn a tenon on. We, we still used pre-molds back then. So... Uh, I made a couple of pipes, and Jay was encouraging. He allowed me to use the facilities, and I just began making pipes with a little bit of help from, from Charles Holiday. How would you have described your, your pipes back then? What style were they? Well, they were, they were I mean, this was when the, the Nording pipes were very big yep. in the U.S., and uh, I tried to emulate the uh, Nording pipes, uh, you know, basically eggs with uh, flaring stems and plateau briar on both both the uh, bowl and the uh, stem with a, a semi-military fitment, uh, which was, I think, the norm for pipes made by American pipe makers back then. Yeah, so find the grain, follow it, make the shape, work with the wood, and uh, make something pretty and functional. Right, and just barely functional. We didn't pay attention to airways or the insides of the stem. If it had a hole in it, that was good enough. <laughs> we had we had no calipers. I, I never used a caliper on a pipe until this side of my career, um, and never made a, a a handmade stem. I thought that was kind of silly, actually, back then. I'd start with a, a large pre-mold and, and sculpt it a little bit, but uh, not not nearly like anything done today. And I couldn't even tell you what size airway I used. Probably an eighth inch because that came to hand. Uh, <laughs> so but, uh, as long as the smoke had a way to get from the bowl into the up the stem, it was good to go. It was good to go. And, and then basically, you know, I, I would describe the pipes that I made back then, if I can say this on air. Yeah. As pipe, pipe turds. <laughs> We've heard worse words on here. <laughs> so I, I made pipe turds in the 1970s. They were pretty. And I did have a knack for following the grain. And I did have, you know, I, I was a pretty good wood shaper and finisher. Uh, but they, they I've, I've seen some of those. They turn up at pipe club meetings now. And, uh, there's not many of them that I would want to smoke myself or that I'm particularly <laughs> proud of. Uh, how did you stamp your pipes back then? I used a pen knife and I carved a W on the underside of the shank, a, a block W. Uh, and that was the only mark I put on them. <laughs> uh, and my mark today is very similar. It's an oval with a W. And and the kind of a elevated twenty one behind it to indicate that these are W's, but now in the twenty first century. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, so uh, we got a couple minutes before the break. Um, 
why did you stop making pipes back in the 70s? Well, along about, uh, I graduated medical school in 1975 and then began a residency training, which lasted four years. And during that time, it, it becomes quite busy. Uh, in medical school, I had a fair amount of free time. But in the residency training, it's uh, it's kind of brutal. I mean, you can work up to 80 hours a week. Yeah. Uh, I, I was married. I had a little girl uh, who was born just before I started medical school. So my time was pretty well taken up. And did you uh, did you put down the pipes all together and quit smoking? Uh, I did not. I continued to smoke um, still whatever contained tobacco, uh, but became, as I, my medical career progressed, uh, more and more on pipes, uh, basically because I liked the pipes better than the other smoking objects. Now, in the in the late 70s, early 80s, did doctors still have a smoking lounge that they could go into in the hospital? Oh, not only did we have a smoking lounge, we smoked at the nurse's station. I even had an attending physician when I was in training who would walk into the ICU smoking a cigarette. I love it. Wouldn't see that now, would you? No, and that was back in the days when the the medical journals used to have advertisements for cigarettes in them. You know, you'd open, there's a whole page of of how a certain brand of cigarettes was better for you health-wise because it made you breathe better, which was now, in retrospect, horrifying. But uh, my, you still see these show up in antique shops. Somebody will do a reproduction or, or, or actually cut one of those pages out of one of these old medical journals and put it on a in a frame. So my son has one. He's also a physician now. I can remember a friend of a, a neighbor of ours up the street who said any time that she got a cold, she switched from her Winston cigarettes to uh, to a menthol cigarette, and it cleared up her cold right away. And that's that's what the medical journals used to tell you as well. <laughs> and now we've uh, changed our thoughts, but uh, we're we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more pipe smoking and. Uh, Maybe we'll get some more advice from the doctor. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with uh, with Dr. Walt and... Uh, all right, so now you're you're back into pipe making again. You've uh, you've officially retired from uh, from playing doctor. Uh, yeah, I still do. Uh, I still teach uh, advanced cardiac life support at the hospital with which I'm still affiliated, and I do a little bit of research work. I'm a clinical expert for a research group, so I review charts and and protocols such for them. So still a bit, but I do not practice. I did emergency medicine for 36 years, and I, I won't go back into that. I, I don't miss that. So you were the guy in the ER that for 36 years you took whatever the ambulance brought into you? That's correct, and I loved it, but it was taxing. Yeah. Yeah, because if I understand it right, that's pretty much a 12-hour shift a couple, you know, several days a week. Uh, 
rarely 12, uh, putatively eight, but they, you know, you never got out at eight hours either. Um, but yes, it, it, it's taxing. It's taxing physically because you're running and it's taxing very mentally because of the gray area decisions that you have to make all the time. You never know everything you want to know when you make a decision. And that is very taxing. I, that's, that's what makes it nice not to be there now. So that that's kind of like when you when you pull up a block of briar and you think, all right, I'm going to go for this pipe, and then halfway through the block of briar, the block tells you, no, you're going to do something else. Uh, sort of, sort of, but certainly without the consequences. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make a, a block of briar sound equal to a human life, but, um, <laughs> but you never know what's inside until you really get working on it. Yeah, well, that's one of the, the, the that's the great fun of dealing with briar. Uh, one of the two pipes that I took to Chicago uh, was such an ugly external block that I almost didn't work on it. It, it really, it, it looked like it was cleft down, way down into the plateau, and it just, it looked very unpromising. But I continued with it, and as as it developed, I, I cut off the piece that, of the plateau that I didn't like. And as I continued with it, it turned into a lovely pipe, at which I sandblasted. And it was actually my favorite pipe that I took to the show. <laughs> All right, so how did you get did, – did you have to go retrain yourself when you got back into pipe making? Well, it, it, oh, yeah. Uh, the, the standards now are, are just so different. I think part of it uh, is that a lot of guys who were in pen making, which was very popular, went to pipe making. As a matter of fact, I, I live very close within five miles of J.L. Thompson, who has been previously interviewed on your show. Yep. And uh, Jason has been just a wonderful mentor to bring me up to standards. Uh, Jason's methods and my methods are entirely different. Jason is, was a lathe guy when he started. He's now starting to do more freehand stuff. But his precision is just amazing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in awe of the way he does, uh, does some of his work. And I actually own five of his pipes. And they're just <laughs> they're wonderful things. But his precision has shown me what you can do. And, you know, I'm trying to emulate, uh, he, he doesn't tell me the way he does everything, but when I see what he does, I can figure it out and I can emulate what he does. So he's, he set a standard and, 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 oh, Jeremiah Sandal, I, his work, I mean, they set standards for me, um, that I try to meet and my pipe making is in the two years that I've been doing this again, is just improved amazingly and i'm always thinking of a way to emulate what i'm seeing these other guys do uh, but I, I think the pipe i think the pen making really brought in a precision that was missing for me now i don't know what happened in the 40 years between the time that i stopped making pipes and the time i started making pipes i, I just wasn't there i didn't follow it so what i'm I feel like Rip Van Winkle awakening <laughs> after sleeping all that time. And, and the world is amazing, especially in, in pipe making. So I mean, I'm, that, I'm scrambling, I'm scrambling to catch up. Well, I, I mean, it's a really cool, it's a, it's a cool and different perspective that you have because you were working with pipes, making pipes, and then the pipe, you know, the, that making side of it became a, yeah, it just went into the background for you for years where you were still smoking and enjoying pipes the whole time. But now you're, you're right. You're kind of waking up in the, uh, you, you've gone from making, uh, making tube televisions to now you're assembling, uh, you know, flat screen TVs. A good analogy. Yeah. It's a, it, it, it is a completely different perspective and, uh, but you're right. I, I think somewhere in there, we as we as pipe collectors, pipe smokers, we started to understand what made pipes a little bit better and a little bit better. And now we're using all these exacting details. And 
you know, it's literally in the last 15 years or so that this strange concept that a bent pipe has to take a pipe cleaner all the way through it has come into the world. Yeah, that's one of them. Uh, and and the way you accomplish that, you know, is is also interesting too. I'm I'm a I'm still a ramp cutter, but I, Jason Thompson will I mean, he'll calculate his angles exactly so that that draft hole is at the end of the tenon and his pass without difficulty and he doesn't fool with cutting a ramp i'm, I'm still at the ramp cutting stage and i'm uh my my approach is so different that i probably will always be at the ramp cutting stage but yeah it's just a small detail but it's different when you talk about ramp cutting you're talking about cutting the inside of the tenon so that everything kind of ramps into it evenly uh you're cutting the end of the mortise okay so that your pipe cleaner will hit a smooth ramp and feed into the draft hole rather than hit uh, an edge or a a blank wall yeah Uh, you'll notice on like the the peterson system pipes they they don't bother with being able to pass a uh, a pipe cleaner because they're system pipes and you'll notice that the draft hole enters the mortise high so that a pipe cleaner has no chance of feeding into that draft hole unless you do some some twisting and bending of the pipe cleaner. Yeah, and it's it's the same system that a, a semi-automatic gun uses to ramp a, a bullet up into the next into the chamber. Exactly. You, you you put a ramp there so that the nose of the round feeds up into the chamber smoothly. So in your in the last two years, has your style of pipe changed from the Danish freehand to a little bit more uh, more shaped pipe? Uh, yeah, it, it's become a hybrid. Uh, another thing that I noticed on the new pipe makers is they're always they were always talking about the transition between the shank and the bowl, which I didn't pay too much attention to. I just you know kind of you know here's the shank, here's the bowl, and. This is the piece in between, and I like to have it smooth and pretty, but it didn't pay a lot of attention to it. And now, for several reasons, I think it's a a good idea to cut a nice transition. One is it removes weight. I I think that a pipe should always be smokable. Um, And I find that the pipes that I enjoy the best are those that are light, don't have a lot of weight out at the end, and you reduce that weight by cutting a nice transition and getting rid of a lot of extra stuff out there. I noticed that a number of the young pipe makers who start now, if they have a piece of plateau, they will try to preserve that piece of plateau to the uh, while just distorting the pipe. And when you tell them that's that's just extra weight hanging out there, that makes it uncomfortable to to hold that pipe in your teeth they don't quite get it yet <laughs> but but at the same time some of them look at that little piece of plateau on the on the uh, on the top of the bowl or something like that and go well that's just that that adds a little bit of the natural beauty to the pipe and it's well, kind of a compromise yeah and you know you, it, it, it's neat to have that and it's neat to discover that but it's also you know, it, 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 the pipe is first and foremost a s- tobacco smoking device, and it should be just a comfortable tobacco smoking device. Anything you do that makes it less comfortable is not, as far as I'm concerned, not something you really want to do. Um, you know, I see I see wonderful, wonderfully shaped wood and wonderfully grained wood that's really not a practical tobacco smoking device. I have a, my term for those is polished rocks. (laughs) You know, they're pretty and they're neat and they're neat to hold, but they're not practical. Are they, uh, so they're, they're more art than they are function. I I, I think so. And and I'm trying to get, you know, I'm aiming for a pipe that has great grain, that has a a great weight, and that's a basically a practical 
smoking device. I, I, I want a pipe that's my design and follows my grain, but is almost a billiard in utility. I think a yeah. billiard is the ultimate practical pipe. Speaking of billiards, is there a shape that that you're that you're still working on, or a shape that's hard for you to that that you're uh, that's frustrating you with getting a handle on? Well, I, anything in the bulldog family is frustrating because I do not turn a block of briar. My lathe is too small, and cutting a bulldog by hand is very very difficult i i've i've done one recently that was sort of rhodesian ish uh but not as crisp as i'd like it to be um other than that i avoid those shapes i actually have a larger lathe uh that i've purchased that i've got to do some modification to my shop to move in and i may at that point begin to to try to turn the upper portion of the bowl on the lathe, but I, I just haven't been able to do that. Uh, my the two lathes that I've progressed through now have both been too small for that kind of work. So those those are outside of the realm of of what I do. But I do try to make at least one billiard or one billiard like pipe with every group that I do, and I do anywhere from six to twelve pipes at a time uh, that I shape and then kind of bring through the progress through the stages and each of those groups has at least one billiard and the reason for that is that uh, when i begin to participate in the the pipe smokers pipe makers forum mainly uh todd bannard known as sasquatch on the forums yeah uh and a couple of the others uh say you know make a billiard first if you can if you can do a good billiard then that is 90% of what you need to know to make any pipe. You you learn symmetry, you learn shape, you learn angles. You know, you want to tilt your bowl forward a little bit. Uh, you learn um, that transition, you know, a, a billiard, a sloppy billiard is visible a half a mile away if you have a lousy transition on it. Yeah. And, uh, Making a good billiard, and I'm still not sure that I've, you know, I have one that I smoke myself that I'm pretty satisfied with, and I've made some others, but making a good billiard is really tough. And uh, I I noticed that the the good students, we have a couple of guys on the Pipe Makers Forum who are very good students, Uh, and the reason they're good students is they they take that to heart. They, They work on a billiard until it's reasonable before they spread their wings and fly into other shapes. <laughs> the other less for, the, the other shapes are much more forgiving when you're dealing with the simplicity of a billiard and and you're right even at the past Chicago show we had a very long discussion with a couple of pipe collectors and one pipe maker or two that were sitting at the table that were just eyeballing the transition on a shank to bowl of a of a straight apple. And just looking at that joint. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how much goes into that making and, and how much you learn by learning to do that. I mean, it, it's just, uh, I was, I, I came back into it. I was kind of, you know, like a lot of new pipe makers. I, I, I knew that I knew a whole lot about pipe making and nobody was going to tell me any different. And it took me a, a few months to realize that uh, Todd Bannard and Jeremiah Sandal and uh, Walt Canoy knew what they were talking about. Well, and I'm sure with all your years of practicing medicine, you've seen uh, techniques and things change and that you'll, uh, you'll, you'll adapt faster than most people because, uh, you know, hey, uh, from what we understand now, cigarette smoking is bad for you. Oh, yeah. The... Uh, in medicine, uh, if if a textbook is four years old, about half of what's in there has been superseded by better information. I mean, half of it is definitely wrong, or part of it is definitely wrong, and part of it is just not helpful. It's based yeah. on misinformation, so that a four-year-old textbook is half wrong. <laughs> 
So, uh, so pipe making jumps a little bit. Uh, the, the advances are a little bit slower than that, but, uh, but right. still different. Um, Walt, where can we go to see your pipes, to see your work and, uh, and admire them? Um, basically, I'm, I'm a Luddite in terms of the Internet. I haven't developed a site. I'm not on it. I have an Instagram account, but I haven't started putting anything on there. So right now I do have uh, pipes that show up on Pipe Makers Forum in various posts. I have uh, just posted a couple on the Pipes Magazine Forum in, in the introduction. And I have uh, some on uh, now the Pipe Smokers Den. That That's a, a child of uh, the Pipe Smokers Forum. Uh, Pipe Smokers Den is is the newest of that iteration of that. And that's run by Todd Bannard and a couple of other guys. So I have pictures on those. And what's your uh, what's your name on those forums? Uh, on the forum, I'm Doc H, capital D-O-C, capital A-I-T-C-H, except for Pipes Magazines where it's uh, just uh, small d and small a. And I'm sure we could also search your name, which is Walter Hedinger, H-E-T-T-I-N-G-E-R. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, progress into your uh, <laughs> into this second career for a second time. All right. It's, it's very enjoyable. And the one advantage that I have that a lot of other guys is, you know, don't have is that I am not feeding my family or paying the rent with what I make from pipes. So I'm, yeah. I'm still in the negative financial side of it. I'm still pouring more money into the materials and machinery than I am in getting back in pipe sales, although that's picking up a little bit. But uh, if a self-paying hobby is what I'm aimed for. But I want to make good, good pipes uh, in that hobby. I don't want to level off at, uh, you know, some sort of, mid-grade stuff i want to make the best well and after all those years in the emergency room i'm sure it's nice to get out and just go sit in the workshop for a couple of hours each day and uh, tootle around with wood and not have to worry about it screaming at you right and you know it's it's it can you know i can spend 12 hours out there uh so uh yeah it's one of the three places at my home that i can smoke I have a picnic table out in front of the house where I said I have the, my shop in the back and I have my den, um, which is probably the least, uh, um, I do the least in my den. As long as the, as long as the boss of the house doesn't mind. Well, yeah, she gave me permission for the den because we had a bad winter this past winter. <laughs> she's, she's a, uh, she's a very kind boss to you. Oh, she is. Yeah, I've been uh, 49 years coming up next wow. month. Well, congratulations on that. And with that, we will wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Okay. What is your favorite pipe? I'm wavering right now between a uh, one of uh, Jason Thompson's pipes and one of Scotty Pearsall's pipes. I've been smoking the Scotty Pearsall during the interview. <laughs> so, so two both really good makers. Um, what's your favorite tobacco? Um, I, I would have to say still the Dunhill Flake, although there are several others that I'm that I'm fond of. What is your favorite drink? I like a Whistle Pig Farms Rye. Ooh. Uh, I, I took I took two bottles to the grotto in, in uh, Chicago, and they went quick. <laughs> uh, on ice or just straight up? Well, I like mine on ice, but uh, they didn't have any ice at the grotto, uh, so we drank that with a little sprinkle of water. And in Chicago, sometimes you just have to stick your glass outside and you get a little sprinkle of water in it from the rain. So, Yes. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, I, I prefer a book. 
actually an iPad. Well, you are all right. You're not a luddite yet. You you're using yeah. eBooks, right? And the thing about eBooks is, especially the iPad, I can yeah, I read various things, but a lot of uh, science fiction alternate history. And the thing about that is, if I want to look something up, I just kind of flip to the other side, look it up, and read, look at a map or whatever, and then go back to reading. It's really neat. It's really you can't do that with a paper book. No, now now I want to read the Lord of the Rings and see if I can actually figure out where everybody is on the map at the same time. Absolutely. Ooh. And uh, final question is: Do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Um, well, I, I, Chicago, <laughs> I, the, the sitting in the grotto in Chicago with a Canadian pipe maker and a young fella from Arkansas. And, uh, I think Mike Addis was there that night. Uh, that was just a wonderful memory. I had a great time there. Yeah. I was learning stuff and, and having a great time and it was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, those that haven't been to a pipe show just don't really understand the uh, the camaraderie and the and the fun times that happen just randomly with whoever you're sitting with, and the opportunity to learn stuff. I mean, geez, we I was able to pull up pictures of the way I did certain things and show them how I'm drilling a mortise, and you know, they would show me what they're doing, and it was just a wonderful time leavened by a fair amount of whistle pig rye <laughs> so so everybody it, everybody was uh, nice and uh, loose and warmed up at the same time yep and we didn't talk any politics and, and i'm glad your favorite memory was not that you accidentally dropped a pipe into a patient once uh no i i, I didn't really smoke pipe around a patient i took my brakes outside but i never smoked them around a patient okay good <laughs> Walt, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and I'm and I'm looking forward to seeing more of your pipes and uh, seeing you next year at Chicago or uh, maybe another pipe show. I'm going to try for Columbus this year, so but Chicago definitely, and maybe Columbus this year. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what you have, and uh, and thanks for coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me, Brian. We'll be back in just a minute. My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at SmokingPipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection, or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345, and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I should have asked Dr. Walt if he does any emergency repairs. Ah, would have been too obvious to ask him. All right, for music, uh, thanks to my friend Dan Locklear, who sent me a note about Healy Willen, H-E-A-L-E-Y Willen, W-I-L-L-A-N, was a Canadian organist and composer and... uh, Lifelong uh, pipe smoker, uh, born in October of 1880, died February of 1968, but was, uh, he, he was prolific. I mean, he, according to Wikipedia, he composed more than 800 works, including operas, symphonies, chamber music, and this piece of organ music, it's from an album on Spotify called Willen Organ Works, and this one is performed by Patrick Wedd. This is Introduction.
I think uh, organ music is something that you either absolutely love, absolutely hate, or you have to be in the mood for. Uh, I listened to the entire album on Spotify, and it was just a uh, it was it was just a great way to sit back and uh, ponder with my pipe for a while. But anyway, Healy Willen, a lifelong pipe smoker and uh, quite an organ composer. Got mail. You've got mail. You've got mail. All right, in the mail, going back to uh, two weeks ago with uh, Bob Savage on, and uh, Casey Ghost writes, "Your opening didn't give us much hope for. Uh, it's nice that the B and M's can blend things as before, but by okaying the FDA regs, it gives them carte blanche to destroy us whenever they want." Cigarettes are killing people in droves, but innocent pipe smokers are suffering. I enjoyed the interview with Bob Savage very much. I did wonder how much of his family history has been verified as opposed to stories that have just been handed down. Terrific music section. Uh, Glad you like the music. And you know what? I love those stories that are handed down. Uh, Whether it's in writing or not, I still love those stories, those legends. That's how stuff begins. Uh, You know, there really wasn't a Paul Bunyan. He really wasn't a giant, but I still love him. Verified or not, love those stories. Uh, Rob Cap said, All the FDA stuff has me jaded by what the world is fast becoming. It's sad to see and a blight on modern society that regulators want to control every facet of our lives and put forward policies without having consulted the very people who will be affected. This isn't even an issue about who one supports politically. This is about motivated and empowered regulators looking to achieve KPIs. And I'm assuming KPIs is some fancy thing. Um, but but he's right. <laughs> uh, it, they also don't want to talk to the people that it's going to affect because they think it's better for the. They know better for us. Uh, Down Home Smoker says, there seemed to be a bit of an echo on Bob's end, which was kind of distracting, but a good interview otherwise. I appreciate how they try and preserve the history of the pipes they make. I actually enjoyed the music this week. Pleasant smokes. Thanks. And Dino writes, what a great history lesson and discussion. Bob's family stories were quite entertaining. Uh, True story. The only thing I bought at Chicago show this year was a Williamsburg clay pipe from Bob at the Old Dominion table. I love a good claw hammer banjo tune and Willie Watson was wonderful. Thanks for another fun show, Dino. You are welcome and apparently we may have to have more Willie Watson on. And looking at last week's show with uh, Shane visiting with Peter Yepison. Uh, Casey Ghost says it was a good show. It was a nice set of interviews with Peter Yepison. Decent music by John Hartford. And don't forget to check out the smokingpipes.com blog for the full interviews once they're uh, once they're uh, once they're posted. That's what I meant to say. And then Down Home Smoker said I enjoyed the Tamp That Ash intro. It gave me a good chuckle. Uh, the interview was good, and I thought it was neat how he studied with two pipe makers before going on his own. I haven't owned a Nearup yet, but I do admire his work. Well done, Brian. Pleasant smokes. Yeah, I, I thought it was cool that he actually, you know, apprenticed and then made the big jump off by himself. And uh, yeah, it seems like a great guy. Uh, glad you all enjoyed that. And again, look for the uh, full interview. Uh, comments or questions, you can email me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or you can uh, send them on Facebook to me. And while you're on Facebook, follow the Pipes Magazine radio show page while you're there. And in just a moment, rant time. Cowboy. Cowboy. This one is called, Oh, the Flamingo, How You Tried to Screw Me, But I Didn't Let You Get Away With It. Yeah, you tried. So when we booked our rooms, we booked two rooms, and uh, the room for myself and my wife, I wanted a smoking room with a king bed on a high floor, and we spent two hours on the phone with their reservation people trying to make sure and book the right room, and we paid whatever they said the rate was for that room. 
Well, of course, room uh, room requests are preferences in Las Vegas. It's not guaranteed, and I know that. So when we get there, the only thing they have is a middle floor king bed smoking and looking at the pool. Well, I remembered what the price difference was between that view and the other view, so I was not happy. And the first lady said the only thing she was going to do is take 120 bucks off. That's all she said. That's all she could do. Well, it was late, been a long day, so we checked in, and I, while, while we were getting ready for the evening, I made a phone call, and I called their toll-free number and told them what was going on, and they said, go back downstairs tomorrow and talk to them. And I said, okay, because either you're adjusting my rate way down, or I'm moving, or you're moving me to another room and compensating me. So I go downstairs the next morning after we had breakfast and I talked to a very nice young man who ended up taking off another 180 bucks. So we got uh, about $300 off of the room for five nights. But the moral of the story is if you ain't getting what you pay for, don't damn well pay for it. That's my motto and I'm going to stick to it. And I'm not done with the Flamingo either. I'm going to let them know how they wasted about four or five hours of my time between the reservation process at the beginning and the time at the check-in desk twice and the one phone call. Just me trying to get what I was willing to pay for. Again, the moral of the story is... If you ain't getting what you pay for, don't pay for it. And that's what I'm sticking to. All right. Please remind your friends, new episodes of the Pipes Magazine radio show go up every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And they're all there. All the backlog is there for you to listen to anytime you want to. And uh, I want to thank Walt for joining me. And thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy It's very important you don't stink today. Hey, I make no guarantees.